Tonight, I'd like to just for the few minutes together, we have to speak from John, the fifth chapter. And this is the, the healing of the impotent man. And then, of course, the Jews accusing Christ of healing on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus telling them that uh, he is uh, one with the Father. He called God his Father. And the 18th verse says the Jews sought to kill him because he made himself equal with God. <clears throat> and when he said in the 17th verse, Jesus answered them, My Father works hitherto and I work. The reason they had was that the word in a father here meant that he actually was the Son of God by birth, the only begotten Son of God, not in the sense that we're the sons of God, but in that special sense. That's why the Jews sought to kill him, because they acknowledged God as their father, but not in the sense in which Jesus acknowledged Christ here as his father. Then, of course, he goes through a discourse with him about his relationship to the Father and uh, that it is the Father that quickeneth those who are alive, who have eternal life. Only the Father can do this. And then he says that even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Same, see. He made himself equal with the Father in power. When he went to the cross, he emptied himself. And he took upon himself the form of a man that he might suffer death for us. But uh, as Ernie read tonight, no man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself and I take it up of myself. He's not a martyr to a cause. This was our wonderful Lord. God manifest in the flesh. And so as we come down to the 31st verse, he speaks of who he is and the witness there is of who he is. And he begins by saying, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, of course, this is a tremendous statement, and certainly Jesus is speaking it as the Son of Man. After all, the world, by and large, only looked upon him as a man. And that he was, in a special sense, the divine Son of Man. Made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. And uh, he says that he could not witness to himself. Because no man's witness of his own life is ever satisfactory. Any of us here, if we bear witness of ourselves and what we are and what we're like, it will be rather a warped picture. We never really could tell anyone else exactly what we're like. Or we couldn't bear witness about ourselves. People don't want to hear a witness from ourselves. You know how it bothers you if someone exalts themselves? and speak so highly of themselves, and right away it shakes you up that they should think so highly of themselves. So a, a man cannot bear witness of himself. It will always be warped. He will gloss over or hide away all the hidden things 
and just make himself sort of shine. And I think probably that uh, we're completely warped in the judging of ourselves. It, as I've said here so often, if you can know yourself and look at yourself objectively, you are a rare person. If you can see yourself as the deepest of sinners, you are a rare person. And yet this is how we're to look at ourselves. We're to see ourselves as the deepest of sinners when we look at Jesus and see the greatness of his righteousness. It is the comparison. If you look at Jesus in the proper sense, you see yourself way down here in your depravity because you know what your mind is like, what your thought life can be. We are all a world to ourselves. Mothers and fathers are not holy because they're mothers and fathers. Sons and daughters are not because they're sons and daughters. The mere fact of becoming a mother does not make the woman holy. Motherhood may be a beautiful thing. And for the momentary thing of bearing a child, the both father and mother have great and exalted desires to be pleasing to God and to take this child and that this child may come up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm speaking of Christians. But actually, knowing ourselves is the most difficult thing. And if I, if I could say in judging, probably the best judge of what we're really like is to be found in the family. I think the best judge of a husband as to the inner characteristics that he possesses is his wife. And even at that, she won't know everything. She can't because she can't see the heart. A wife might not even know the great battles her husband has in the spiritual realm. The husband will know most about the wife, just as the mother and father will know most about the children and the children about the mother and father. If there were to be a place of judgment, we cannot take the witness by the person themselves because they will gloss the surface over and make themselves look like what they're really not. And so Jesus says, I can't bear witness to myself. If I bear witness to myself, nobody will believe me. He has to have a higher witness than this, you see. He has to have a witness that will hold and that nobody can shake. And so he says, I bear not witness of myself. You might say to me, this I'm speaking as though Jesus was speaking, you might say to me, the only reason you claim to be Messiah is because you were born in Bethlehem. You picked up the scripture, and because you were born in Bethlehem, you also said you were born of a virgin. And because, 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 in other words, Going down the prophetic utterances, they might have accused Jesus 
of taking the Word of God, which they did, incidentally, and making it applicable to himself so that he would seem to be Messiah. Therefore, he knows that the witness that he would bear concerning himself, even using the Scripture, is not going to be complete. Remember, he is not declared to be the Son of God. As Paul says, Jesus Christ is declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. You see? Once he arose, the witnesses established upon every word he said. That was different, you see? Once he arose, they could know that everything he said was absolute divine truth. That's why even the disciples forsook him. They could not fathom at the cross. They all left him. They couldn't grasp this. He's going to die on a cross. We thought he should be king. And they did not grasp the full significance of that which he had come to do, that he had come to redeem not only Israel, but mankind from their sins. They knew so little about the Word of God. Do you know how the Jews are today? They are amazed. If you speak to a Jewish person, and if you know four or five verses in the Old Testament, they think you're a theologian. You speak to your local druggist or the man in the stationery store. Or speak to Abraham and Strauss if you want. I don't care. Does it always strike you that all of the, all of the merchants, you know how the Lord told us in the Old Testament, and he says, and Israel, the Jews, shall be the merchants of the earth and shall control the money bags. Shouldn't surprise us. Shouldn't get us upset, you know, that they are in these businesses of all merchandising. But you speak to the, the Jew and the, the Jewish man in the drugstore or something, and you talk to him about the Old Testament, and he'll say to you, well, oh, I don't know, I went to Jewish school and everything. I never heard anything like this. Because he hasn't been taught those things which show Christ as Messiah. And so even the disciples are confused in the death of Jesus Christ. And aren't they amazed on the road to Emmaus when he goes along with them? And then they said, oh, how our hearts did burn within us as he walked with us by the way. And then they realized it was the Christ. See, doubting Thomas, lest I thrust my hand into his side and see the nail prints in his hands, I... I can't believe it. See, all the disciples, he comes at the seaside. It is his ghost. He says, it's not a ghost. Give me fish to eat. It is I. See, the nail prints in my... Can you imagine if you were there? Huh? Can you imagine? Wouldn't you have loved to have stood there and have Jesus say, see the nail prints in my hands? I, could you help but shouting, Hallelujah! He's alive from the dead. This was not the witness of himself, you see. This was the risen Savior. 
And so he says, I cannot bring witness of myself, for no matter what I say, it will not be that which is sufficient for me. There's going to be a proof come that will be so clear and so definite that you'll never doubt a word I said. That's why the words that Ernie read are so important. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Why? He's risen. Neither shall any. It, incidentally, it doesn't say any man. Man is in italics. Neither shall any man, devil, angel, Pluck them from my hand. No one can pluck us from the hand of Jesus Christ. And so he says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. It has to come from another source completely. He knew they wouldn't believe. In this chapter a little later, he says, about Moses. He says, if you don't believe what Moses said when he spoke of me, and after all, Moses starts writing Genesis and speaking of Jesus Christ. You can start with the, the beginnings of Genesis, Genesis 3.15, and begin and, and see where Christ is spoken of and the Messiah coming and the blood sacrifice. All these things heading up to the coming of the Savior and Isaiah and the prophecies, all these things heading up. But he says, if you don't believe Moses, you Jews, you won't believe me because Moses spoke of me. So if you don't believe him, how will you ever believe me? You see how he speaks as a man here? The son of man, perfect man. Not the son of God now, but the son of man. And so he makes sure they understand it can't be his witness. Then he says, the 32nd verse, There is another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. Now, he goes from himself to a man, to another man. It's nice when other people look at you and have something nice to say about you, isn't it? That's pleasant. I hope you're all on that side. <laughs> where people have something nice to say about you in the neighborhood where you live. Or the loved ones at home. Maybe I ought to start there. That would be better. The loved ones at home and then the neighborhood where you live. But he says, you sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. Now, if you turn over to John 1, just back a few pages, here you see John the Baptist. Now, why does he choose John? Because John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. John the Baptist is not a member of the church. John the Baptist, by his own word, is a friend of the bridegroom, but not the bride. So he is the Old Testament prophet, the last one. And he picks John because he is saying of John, in another portion, of women no greater shall ever be born than John the Baptist. And so he picks John. 
And John's witness is back in that first chapter of John, the 32nd and the 33rd verse. And John bare record saying, notice what witness he calls upon. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode on Jesus. And I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, this is God, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw, John says, and I bear record that this is the Son of God. Ah, there's a witness. There's a witness. You know, this is an amazing chapter, this first chapter, if I can hold you here for just a minute or two. It's an amazing chapter. I don't know whether you realize what is said about Jesus Christ in that one chapter. Amazing thing. Let me just quickly show you what I mean. In the first chapter, in the seventh verse, he is called the light, the light of the world. This is our Jesus, the light of the world. Men were in darkness, and they chose darkness. But here's the light of the world that comes to shine into our hearts with this glorious good news of the gospel of Christ. And when we receive Christ, we become the children of light. Are you a light where you live? Is there a spirit of darkness where you go? The people rejoice in you because there's a light about you. The Christ dwelling in you shines. Young person, is this true? Jesus really shines from you. He's called the light. It lights every man that comes into the world. He's also called a lot of other things. In the 14th verse, the Word is made flesh. Imagine. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and came and tabernacled amongst us. He's the light of the world. He's the Word of God, the divine logo. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And unless you hear Jesus, you will never be saved. Impossible. For he is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word was made flesh, and came and tabernacled amongst us. Listen to this, Jesus, my words are spirit and they are what? Life. There's no life outside the word. You can't have life everlasting without the word of God. What does Peter say? Being born again of the incorruptible seed of the word of God. This is a new birth. It comes through the Word of God. So he's the light of the world. 
He's the very Word of God, the divine Logos. 14th verse also, the only begotten of the Father. Notice these things, all in one chapter. The only begotten of the Father. The only one born of the Father. The only one born of Mary, the divine Son of God. The only one that could ever suffer death for mankind. The only one that could ever redeem mankind. Not Confucius, not Buddha, not Muhammad, none of these. For this is the divine Son of God and the only one who is Son of Man will suffer death for a world that didn't deserve his death that he might redeem us unto himself. And so he's the only begotten Son of God. Notice all in one chapter. Down in the 17th verse, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Thou shalt call his name Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. That word Jesus Christ, Jesus, Savior, Christ, the anointed one of God. That's the Greek. The anointed Savior of God. This is Jesus Christ. Then the same uh, chapter, the same verse there, it's the only begotten Son again. Then in the 23rd verse, he's called the Lord. Then in the 29th verse, he's called the Lamb of God. Boy, he piles it on so that out of one chapter you can't get away. He's the light. He's the Word of God. He's the only begotten Son of God. He's the Word made flesh. He's the one who here is called the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You wouldn't have to go past the first chapter to know who he is and how to get redeemed. In the 34th verse, he's called the Son of God. In the 38th verse, he's called Master. In the 41st verse, he's called the Messiah of Israel. He's going to get it all in, John is. You're not going to have to get out of the first chapter, Jewish man. You're not going to have to get out of the first chapter, Gentile, before you know that God has piled into one chapter every single possible name he can get for his blessed son so that you have not one mistake who this one is. 49th verse. Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, and thou art the King of Israel. Amazing. Did you ever think in one chapter he's going to get it all in? Messiah, King of Israel. And then in the 51st verse, he is the Son of Man. So he has him Son of God, Son of Man, Messiah, Lamb of God, Word of God, light of the world. He gets it all in, doesn't he? The only begotten Son of the Father. Boy, I tell you, you could just take that first chapter and talk to people and say, do you know who Jesus Christ is? Well, let me show you who he is from the first chapter of John. He's everything. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Everything is in him. Notice the 45th verse there in that first chapter. He says, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he's got it all 
in. This is the witness, you see. This is the witness that John brings to our divine and wonderful Savior. Then notice the 34th verse now, the 5th chapter again, if you'll go back there. He says, you sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. Well, all right, that's what we've been looking at. This is John the Baptist here, bearing witness to the truth, who he is. And then he says, the 34th verse, but I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He says, I don't need the testimony of man, really. I have the testimony of my father. The Holy Spirit came upon me. John is witness to this also. So I tell you this so that you understand I still don't need the witness of man. John was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. And you know, I couldn't help but think I underlined this little portion here where it says, for a season. Now, Christian... Don't be seasonal. Uh, I think this is so important here, for a season. You know, people, I, you know, being a pastor for 20 years in a church, I know this. People come, it always makes, reminds me of the, the parable of the sower and the seed. People come, they hear the word of God, and they get excited Sometimes they even give a witness by the hand that they're saved. And for a season, they almost seem to go along. But I would remind you there were different kinds of soil that the seed fell upon. And there's a kind of seed, you know, where it says, and the devil cometh and plucketh away, lest they might believe and be saved. And I have to say, over the years, that many, many, many people I've seen come into this church and even raise their hands for Jesus Christ have never really solidly come to the Savior. Why do you think that I am... I do not push baptism. I have very good reason for not pushing baptism. On the mission field, they do not push baptism. I believe they are right. On the mission field, when someone comes to Jesus Christ in Africa, they let them wait a whole year before they take them through the waters of baptism. And the reason I do it here is because in my early ministry, I had a few very sad experiences with people who came. One man I remember so well, and a few of you men will remember him, but he came in here drunken, alcoholic, came in, raised his hand for Jesus Christ. For about two or three weeks, he bore a good witness. He said, I want to be baptized. And I thought, well, he really has a fervent witness for the Lord. I feel we have to take him through the waters of baptism. I baptized him, and a week later, he was back in his drinking, and he's been drinking for the last eight years. Someone says, what church do you go to? I'm a member of Franklin Avenue. It's sad. Sad. So I'm slow to baptize. If you came and you found Christ here tonight, you know, I, I don't go along with the Southern Baptist. I guess you know that. <laughs> I don't go along with the Southern Baptist. 
I know they've got nice phrases down there. I know that one of the preachers always says, you'll never find any spiders in my baptismal tank. Well, there's a reason for that. He baptizes about 1,500 a year. He baptizes them the same night they raise their hand because then they're in the membership of the church. Now, I can't agree with that. I believe that if you're really saved and you love Christ as your Savior, you will be patient and wait for that time of believer's baptism, and when you're baptized, you really know you are saved, and you'll want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. The testimony you bear when you go in that baptismal tank is that you are risen with Christ and that you're going to live with him. And I want to tell you that many a one who's gone through baptismal waters has never known Christ as their personal Savior. And it isn't by the baptismal waters that we're saved, but it is by that simple act of faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And this is a public testimony that you really know Christ as your personal Savior. For a season, they may go along. He says here, you went along with John the Baptist for a season, but not for too long. When John witnessed about Jesus being the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, things changed. It was all right while John was just a prophet for himself and baptized for himself. But the minute he pointed to Jesus and said, there's one coming after me who's greater than I am, and he baptizes with the Holy Spirit, this started enmity, trials and burdens, and the Jews sought to kill Jesus. So for a season they went along until Christ was pointed to as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Let me tell you, if I preached some other kind of a message and didn't preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, and if I didn't preach the blood of Jesus Christ, there'd be people would go along with me for a season. But I want to tell you that usually people who come here one Sunday and hear the message of Christ and the blood and the means of redemption, if they're not interested, they never come back again. But if I just were preaching some simple little thing, some worldly parable, they'd all flock in. But the minute the blood is preached, remember, it is the offense of the cross. The cross is an offense. And the fact that so many preachers in this world and in this very area throw out the blood of Jesus Christ and want nothing to do with it shows what offense it is to man. He cannot fathom the depths of the riches of God in giving his only begotten Son as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so he says, you went along for a season and rejoiced in his light. But he says, I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. He's going to finish everything that the Old Testament called upon him to do. And all the way down to Isaiah 53, where it said that he would be bruised for our iniquities, our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace would be upon him, and with his stripes 
we are here. He came to finish it. He came to end all the blood sacrifices. The great work of the cross, the work of our redemption, Christ came to finish. How wondrous that God, he fulfilled it all. He says, don't you see? Your Old Testament is only half a book. If Messiah does not come and accomplish all the things for this world that he has promised, did he not tell you, Jews, that he would bring a people in to redeem them who are not his people? Should you not have known that? He has come to complete your Old Testament, the Messiah who should come, and one day he will be King of kings and Lord of lords, King of Israel, first chapter of John. So he says, I came to finish it. And I don't need any other witness. You watch my life. You watch my work. It's going to lead me to one place. When I was born, I had a destiny like no man ever born. For the destiny was the cross. Unto this hour was I born. Unto this hour I came. When he came to the cross. And so he came to finish the work of God. Isn't that wonderful? It is finished. There's no more to be done. Now we wait for his coming to complete it all and to establish a kingdom of righteousness. Isn't it a, a glorious panoramic view of mankind? Isn't it? It gives you some sense to man, doesn't it? There's no sense to the world. Is there really? Look at it. What a mess. There's no sense, no values. The dollar is the big thing. No wonder there's been such rebellion. Really, isn't it a shame that the churches haven't had a message for young people that would have some fire in it, that would have some power in it, to give them a life that's vibrant, to give them something to hold on to that's firm and solid instead of a bunch of hippieism and drugs and filth and dirt? The tragedy is this. Here is our God. And he says, I came to finish it. I want to give you a view of the world that's sensible, that has something to it. What has man got to offer to you, he said. I can take you, he says, from the beginning of time with all the way back in the billions of years when I made the heavens and the earth. All things were made by me and for me. By me they exist. I can take you back there. I can take you to the Adamic creation, leaving all the other creations behind. They're all a product of my hands. But this is Adamic. This is man. This is him who is made in my image. My purpose now is to have a family for myself. And I can take you from here through my redemption, through my resurrection, through my ascension, through my coming again to receive you to myself and an eternity of bliss with me. Is there any more that you want? This is what Jesus offers through faith in his blood as the means of redemption for our sin. I came to finish the work of God. It's only half finished if you've only got your Old Testament. But now it is finished. Take that first chapter of John and do what I did. Just underline everything that Jesus is in there and you won't have to go anywhere else. You say, Lord, if I only, if somehow 
All I ever got a hold of was this little portion in John. I'd have known you because I could have seen that you were everything. The Savior, the Lord, the King of Israel, the Messiah, the light of the world, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. How blessed and how wonderful. Do you know him tonight? What witness has he borne to you? For it is the Holy Spirit that bears witness to you. And I, remember, will give you the Holy Spirit and he shall convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment because I go to my Father. He says, everything I said is right. You're a sinner. The only way you can get righteousness is through me and judgment is coming. I go to my Father and you see me no more so you know that the words that I spoke are true and the Holy Spirit will speak that way to your heart that you might be redeemed. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for thy word tonight and Lord, it may be that someone here hasn't yet made a decision for Christ and we pray right now that in their hearts they might be saying, Lord, I really believe just in these few verses and in that first chapter of John I see thee in all thy glory and all thy power thou art the Savior do you really know him tonight have you accepted him into your heart have you received Christ as your Savior and your Lord do you really know him are you making that decision in your heart tonight And if you are, just like this man this morning, have you found Christ? And is he your Savior? It's not a matter of finding the Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, but of finding Jesus as your personal Savior. While our heads are bowed, it may be that someone would like to say yes to Christ tonight. If so, just put your hand up, every eye closed. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I really want Christ in my heart. I really do. Anyone at all, I just give you the opportunity to put your hand up and take it down. It may be I... You know, sometimes I can know someone for years and yet they may not have come really in their hearts to Jesus. Tonight, maybe you'd like to come to Christ. Take him. Anyone? Every eye closed. No one looking around. It's just between you and God. That's all. I won't ask you to come forward. Just put your hand up high. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I really want Christ in my heart. Just as we close. Anywhere? Just one moment, and then I'll close. Yes, I see your hand. Lord bless you. God bless you. Anyone else to join this one who just raised her hand for Jesus Christ? Anywhere? Quickly. Just put it high and say, Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Anyone? Now, Father, we thank thee for 
this young lady who's raised her hand for Jesus Christ. And we pray that thou wouldst wonderfully bless her, that this night will be a night she'll long remember when she said yes to Jesus Christ to come into our heart as our Savior. Cleanse her from all sin and make her one with him and with the Father. Put thy hand upon her life and give her a good witness for our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.